Let's start with your notebook turned over, looking at the back. We're going to work our way through those um, six disciplines, spiritual leadership disciplines, biblical disciplines for leadership in the church and in the home. These are the things that um, matter most um, in our opinion. You need to be the right kind of man, um, and you don't just wake up one morning and fall into being the right kind of man. It takes a lifetime of, of spiritual discipline and practice and prayer and pursuit of Christ and God and his word um, so that you might find yourself being shaped by God in that whole process of pursuing him to become more and more like um, a godly man. And it all begins with uh, your heart. You must shepherd your heart. We're, this is basically saying you must learn to shepherd yourself. You must learn to shepherd yourself, um, the inner man, who you are inwardly. You must be concerned about your heart, um, where your heart is at with God, and uh, you must understand your condition. And at some point, we're going to work through um, uh, talking more specifically about what your new condition is in Christ. And we'll we'll spell that out more clearly and, and just spend a good amount of time talking about that, letting you ask questions. Um, it's important to understand that, that you are not, if you are in Christ, you are not who you once were. You are a new creature. Um, what you were before, um, in a significant way, is now gone. It is dead. You have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer you who live. Um, the old man was crucified. Your old identity um, That identity was an unmixed condition. It was pure through and through evil and rebellion. That's all it could be. Um, There was only one way you could ever go. There was only one pursuit you could ever have, and it was towards rebellion against God. Um, That condition is what God united with Christ at the cross and with Christ at his empty tomb uh, and, and united a new you at the resurrection so that at his death, the old man died. So you now can never get back to that unmixed, pure through and through evil condition. Amen. You can't. You just can't. You can't go back there. You are a new condition. Slavery to sin is gone. Now, what do you have? What makes it confusing is that why well, still sin? So was I was that old self crucified or not? And the answer to that is yes, absolutely. You cannot go back to that unmixed condition, but you still have indwelling sin. But now you have a new condition in which you have new desires that have been given to you by God. You have um, a new capacity to obey God that you never had before. And you have new strength from God that you never had before. Okay, that's mixed in with all of this still impurity that is there. All the more why you need to watch over that self. You could not watch over that old self. You didn't care about watching over that old self before. But with this new self, this new identity, um, you must watch over yourself. You must shepherd you. And the way that we do that is by dragging that new you before the Bible, opening up the pages of the Bible, and you plead with God to meet with you. 
so that you meet with the person God, not so that you get theological facts, not so that you get a good theological system arranged so that you can answer questions that people have and you can win arguments. That's important at the right places in the right times. But primarily so that this new you gets to meet with the one that made this new you and worship this one who made the new you and love this new uh, this one who made the new you, etc. So that you can fear him, so that you can obey him. That's what you do more than anything. That's the foundation of the Christian life. That's it. If you have that, and if you are growing in that, if you are disciplining yourself with that um, for the rest of your days, all of the other things that will come to your life will, will work out in the right way at the right time by God. If you don't do this, watching over yourself, shepherding your heart, bringing it to God's word, um, you are inviting a train wreck of a life. And the people who live with you are going to experience it with you. And the ministries that you step into as a church, in the body of Christ, or wherever you go outside of the church, people are going to experience it from you. You cannot play leapfrog over this new condition that you are. You must take responsibility for who you are and shepherd yourself. And that is only possible by the grace of God and what he has done for you in Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. Okay, You must shepherd your heart. Secondly, then, you must shepherd your home, the household relationships that you are in. You need to be able to step there and make a gospel impact there first and foremost. Um, and you're going to see a lot more about that today in Titus chapters 1 and 2 as we um, get to that. And yes, we are going to talk about um, the, the women uh, today. And you'll see why. I, I hope it will make good sense for you. Um, but you need to make an impact there with the gospel first and foremost. Um, it's easy for men. I don't know what it is about us. It's the fallen nature that is still within us, uh, the indwelling sin. Uh, wherever there, God puts responsibility, the flesh looks for a way to play leapfrog over it. You will wake up every day and it will just be your natural, human, flawed um, tendency to look away from your responsibilities rather than look to them. And so you must be wise about this now as a, as a new creation, and you must say, I'm going to fight against that today. And I'm going to fight against um, the temptation to just be busy with all of the things that are outside of my home. And it doesn't matter what age you are, because you just find young men, old men, uh, very easily distracted by work, uh, the challenges that are out there, um, look how easy it is to have been out there and then to when you come home just to bring it all home. You're not even thinking about home even though you are home. This is one of the biggest complaints that a lot of times women have about their husbands is that you're, you're home, but you're not home. And that's because of our, our fleshly nature. And so you've got to be aware of that and fight against that now because you have new desires, new capacities, new strength that you must draw upon in the gospel and shepherd the people in your home. Um, when a man is not playing leapfrog over shepherding his own heart, and he's not playing leapfrog over his home, that man, when he steps into the lives of other people in the church, and even beyond the church in evangelism, that man is a sharp tool in the hand of God. And that's a, a man that is exciting to watch God work through. So, uh, you ready then for discipline three, the ministry? 
which we haven't even gotten to yet in build this year. Uh, we're really trying to focus on disciplines one and two heavily on the front end, uh, and then it'll make all good sense when we get to discipline three. Um, but you're ready then to step into the lives of other people and bring the gospel to them. Okay. Um, when you look at the qualifications that are set out in discipline four for deacons and or elders, we've said this many times, um, they could all probably fall, fall into the first three discipline categories. Uh, what's he like in terms of taking care of his soul, his heart before God? What, what's his character like? What's his relationship with his family in the home like? Is he a one-woman man? Is he managing his household carefully, his children carefully with all dignity? Um, and then, what's he like with people? Is he contentious? Does he know how to be gentle towards people? Patient with people? Uh, Etc. And so we're trying to aim you at the qualifications, primarily of deacon, but man, we want you to be thinking about elder qualifications as well. And those are not like... Uh, those are not drastic differences in qualification lists. There's primarily only one difference, and it's a task giftedness difference in terms of being able to teach. Uh, but you have to be above reproach as a deacon. Uh, you need to be a one-woman man as a deacon. Um, you need to be able to uh, hold to the mystery of the faith in, in 2 Timothy 3, which is essentially the same thing as holding to sound doctrine. Um, so you have to be... You have to be a very similar uh, kind of man to be a deacon as you have to be to be an elder. It's just that as an elder, you're shepherding with the word of God much more so, more intentionally, more specifically than you are if you are with a, as a deacon. Um, so we're going to aim you towards those qualifications and talk about those a little bit later, um, beginning of next year. And then Discipline 5, um, by the end of the time, our time together um, this year, we're going to have talked about the hermeneutic um, that we want to encourage you to follow which is primarily reading your Bibles from left to right, from Old Testament to New Testament, to interpreting it in the way that God wrote the Bible. He, wrote, he didn't write everything at once, and he didn't unload everything in the first few pages of the Bible. In his wisdom, he decided to unfold it in stages over many, many centuries through many different men. And so what we want to do is, is have a hermeneutic that follows that same kind of pattern. We're going to start from the left, we're going to say everything that those passages early on in the Bible say and, and, and guard them in those meanings. But then if something more has been said, we need to keep moving. And we need to make sure that we get to those later passages and talk about how we want to interpret the Bible. Um, so we'll do that towards the end. And then lastly, uh, Discipline 6, you want to know and you need to know what this church is um, anchoring itself on and aiming itself towards and practicing and that is a biblical vision of God, we hope, um, trying to set our sights on the glory of God, which moves us towards the cross. You can't talk about the glory of God without getting to the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you talk about the cross of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is the one that loves to apply the cross of Jesus Christ and transform us. So it's a Trinitarian vision that we're trying to set our sights on. Um, and that then moves us to a biblical purpose, which is we have to participate with drawing in with the gospel, building up one another in the gospel, and then sending each other out with the gospel uh, to accomplish the mission of Jesus Christ in this world. Um, so that's what we're focusing on. That's what we want Bill to be a part of. We want to call the men of the church to unite around that, these things. Um, we're trying to be intentional about that. There's flaws in every way that you could possibly do it. Uh, if a church decides not to do something like this, some men will be inevitably become qualified men because God loves the church and he's not going to leave the church bankrupt. 
Uh, it's his son's bride. Um, but we don't want to do that. We want to participate with God. We want to offer a tool to the men of the church in hopes that God will be pleased to use that. And um, so you get to participate with us in that. And we're grateful. So let's do this. Let's break up. I'm only going to give you 30 minutes today. All right, guys, here we go. You need to make sure that you have your uh, handout from today. If you didn't get one of the handouts, they're on the back table over there, or the, the back cart by the door. So let's get your uh, handout out in front of you. Let's open up to Titus chapter 2. And um, I'll explain your homework to you as well. Do not be overwhelmed by the homework. There's 23 questions there. You're, the, we are not expecting you to, uh, in the next two weeks, go through all of these questions. Uh, these are questions that you're going to need to work through progressively just over time. And um, if you get through the, them in two weeks, if you get through them in two days, that's great. Um, but there's not an expectation that you're going to work through 23 questions. All of these questions that are on your yellow sheet are actually also within your notes today. And so what I did is I just pulled the questions. They're kind of like application questions or questions you're going to want to think about from the text. I just pulled them out separate and put them on this yellow sheet so that you can be isolating them more. Um, so your expectation for your homework on December 17th is that you'll start working through these. If you go home and you have sat with, if you're married, your wife, if you sat with, if you have a daughter who's old enough to have a conversation with you about a role in the, in the family and you worked through three questions and it, it was profitable conversation, you fulfilled the homework, okay? It's the spirit of it. It's not, you got to get through 23 questions, and if you don't, you're probably not a Christian, okay? It's not that. It's, guys, these are a tool for you to work through with your family. Uh, and uh, I'll tell you what, if, if you are a single man, and there is no woman in your life, these are great questions to prepare you for what God might be leading you to in regards to marriage. These are great questions to think through, and this is a great passage to meditate on when you're considering a wife. Um, I don't know what it is that young men do uh, in picking out women to marry, uh, but a lot of times Titus 2 doesn't even come across their mind. And other kinds of spiritual qualifications for a woman. Um, we tend, in all honesty, in my opinion, I think to, to have a, a worldly mindset when it comes to relationships where we're looking for compatibility on, on things and interests. And I'm not saying that's not important. Those will have a bearing on your relationship and how it goes. But you can have all the compatibility on interests. But if you're, the woman you're interested in is not committed to the things here in Titus 2, uh, you're going to have bigger issues to deal with much bigger issues. Better off to start here, and if a woman has all of these things, but you guys have some different interests, I think that puts the interests in proper perspective. You know, I, I can I can deal with, look, I don't, I, I can give up the kind of pizza that I like. I can, I can, I can negotiate um, on um, butter being hard. How do you spread hard butter on toast? It just ruins the toast. Um, those are, look, and it's funny because those things are going to become issues. If, if, but um, 
you know, but you, if you've got a woman who has all of these things, but you're really dissatisfied because of some interest things, preference things that you have, I would just say, wow, shepherd your heart on that. Think carefully. Um, don't settle for second best in marriage. Not saying that, but just put your focus in the right place first, okay? Let's talk about um, Titus 2, and it'll become evident why we're going to be focusing on verses 3 to 5 on the older women and the younger women, especially when we're a bunch of men. Um, We need to understand our context first a little bit. Before we do that, we need to pray because we're going to be looking at God's Word, and as always, before we look at God's Word, we need His Spirit's help um, so that we can see what God wants us to see. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pause ourselves in this moment um, because we want to make sure that we see what you see. You had something very specific in mind as you wrote this passage concerning older women and younger women in the church. And um, we are men who, if not now, in in the future, will most likely be living in households where there are women. And... Lord, we need to see what you see in regards to them because we as men are called to be leaders in the home. And if we don't see what you see and if we don't understand what you understand and if we don't prize what you prize, how can we ever lead the women in our homes to what you prize? So Lord, help us to um, be alert. We pray, Lord, that you would run right through our own hearts what you have here in your word. We look away from ourselves as we study and and as we look at your word and we look to you, we look to your spirit and we ask for his help. Pray for him to illumine our hearts, our minds, so that um, you can imprint there deeply what is in your word. Lord, we want to worship you, we want to honor you, and we want to be obedient to you. So please come and help us. We are weak and we are frail and we will uh, not fall into obedience. But we have to, we've recognized this about ourselves, that we have to discipline ourselves towards obedience. May this be a part of that even today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, just a couple of questions to clarify the context. Why did Paul leave Titus in Crete? Let's, uh, Crete. Let's back up to chapter 1, verse 5. He says, This is the reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, If any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer must be above reproach, as God's steward, not self-willed, nor quick-tempered, nor addicted to wine, uh, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. So that's why he left him, to set in order what remains. The church is not where the churches need to be on the island of Crete. The second question, why do elders need to be able to, why does he end the qualifications with uh, being able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict? Why do elders need to be able to do that? Well, that's what verse 10 and following is all about. Here's why. For, because there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, 
who must be silenced. Why do they need to be silenced? Because they are upsetting whole families. Teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith. What a gracious thing for Paul to say about these guys who are basically false teachers. Reprove them. Why? So they can be sound in the faith. That's gracious towards a false teacher or somebody who's falling towards that. Not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience, uh, conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. This is why they must be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. There's false teaching everywhere, and where is it hitting primarily? Households. Households. Um, next question. How should Titus think of himself in comparison to the false teachers? Chapter 2, verse 1. But, con- contrast, but in contrast, you speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Okay, they're teaching and they're upsetting whole families. You speak these things that are fitting with sound doctrine, fitting for sound doctrine. Uh, so then, what is Paul's teaching strategy for Titus? so that he can address the damage caused by the false teachers at the household level. Um, well, that's our passage we're going to look at, verse 2 and following. Um, older men, here's what you're going to speak that's fitting for a sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in the faith, and in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrines, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame. You see, this is still connected back to the those who are causing problems in the household. Um, so they would have nothing bad to say about us, verse 8. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, not uh, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. You see, that's Paul's teaching strategy. You've got to address the older men, the older women, who will then have a ministry of the younger women, and the younger men, and the bond slaves, and all of this is so that you can help silence those who criticize, or who are the critics. And what is ultimately at stake in the church and outside the church through this behavior that old men, young, older women, younger women, younger men, and slaves, and Titus, all, what's at stake? Look back at verse 1. You need to Speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Look at verse 5. So that the word of God will not be dishonored. Verse 8. So that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Verse 10. So that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. What's at stake? 
It's the glory of God in his word, uh, which has the gospel as the crown jewel of it all. And our reputation connected with it. That's what's at stake. Next question. Why is it possible for these believers to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect through their behavior? Or, or how is it possible that they're going to do this? And this is how the chapter ends. Here's how they're going to do it. Because, verse 11, the grace of God has appeared. Here's how you can even do this. The grace of God has come, has appeared, um, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. How are you going to live this way? How are you going to be able to be reverent in all your behavior and uh, not slanderous, uh, older women? How are you going to be able to do this? We'll see the grace of God appear and it brought salvation to you. And it instructs you to live and to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live righteously. That's how you can do this. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us. Here's how it ultimately comes down. He gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good deeds. Speak these things and exhort and reprove with all authority. Don't let anyone disregard you, I think, in regards to these things. If somebody goes, ah, Titus, no, you stop him right there and you say, you cannot disregard this. This is being spoken with authority. You let these things stand, and if you're going to get in the way, get out of the way. So there's the overall flow. Uh, For... um, points here to, to consider. Why is it important for men in the church to understand that God's gospel has an effect on women in the church? Why would we even want to focus on verses 3 to 5? Uh, letter I, here's your first blank, I must align my leadership with God's gospel expectations for women in my home. The first thing, guys, is, is you need to align what God is thinking about what the gospel does to a woman. If your heart is not aligned with what he says his gospel does to a woman, then you don't know what God expects for the women in your home. You don't know what the gospel does to the women in your home. Okay? Number two, my leadership must help the women or the woman in my home embrace then God's gospel and the implications for their living. You have to help them embrace that. The only way you're going to be able to help them embrace that is if you first what? Know it. And that you're aligned with it. Oh, yes, God, I see what you want to do through your gospel in women. I see it. And now, because I see it, I'm going to go to the women in my home, and I'm going to help them embrace it. Okay? Thirdly, um, my leadership of the women in my home must contribute to the adorning of the gospel and the silencing of critics. Those are two blanks there. My leadership of the women in my home must contribute to the adorning of the gospel and the silencing of the critics. That's those verses uh, 1, 5, 8, and 10, right? And there's a direct link between um, your leadership and those things taking place. Your loving leadership needs to guide your wife or and or your daughters into the gospel behavior that adorns the gospel in every respect, that honors the word of God, that that puts opponents to open shame. Uh, You need to help that come to pass through your leadership in the home. Uh, Lastly, number four, 
my leadership of the women in my home can protect my household from being upset. Why do you why do you need to understand what God's gospel implications are for the women in your home? Remember back in Titus chapter 1 verse 10, there's these rebellious men and they must be silenced because they're upsetting whole families. How are they going to get upset or how are they going to get silenced? By you knowing what God says the gospel does to a woman and you helping them embrace it and you protect your home. That kind of stuff can't get in your home then and upset the family and upset your wife. Turn her upside down, confused, wondering. Go, go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I think Paul found this to be a common pattern throughout the Roman Empire where he was at. Uh, Titus is on the island of Crete. Timothy is at Ephesus, right? Look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 6. Among these men, out of these qualifications, there are these kinds of, this man described here in verses 2 and following. From among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses. These women are always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. How do you stop that? Ground zero is the man in the household knowing what the gospel expectations are for the women and helping them to embrace them so that these women can't be led astray by false teaching that comes in through books, blogs, emails, Facebook. I mean, there are more avenues into a woman's life at home than there ever has been. And if you don't know what God's gospel implications are for your wife, and she's got a constant, steady stream, your daughter's having this, wow, your house is going to be easily upset. And you could be right there on the couch and not even know it. Okay, so you have to know these things. So the question there for you is, how aware have you been of what Titus 2, 3 to 5 says? I think it's one of those passages where guys primarily go, yeah, that, that women should know that. That's important. And, and I think my church is, has got that one figured out and is helping the women with that. So I, it's, it's all good. But what, what I would hope today would happen is that you would understand this so that from your perspective, you can bring that to bear in your home. Mike? Uh, you say, you mentioned several times the gospel. Implications. Uh, or, uh-huh. Yeah. We're, we're going to get to that more, but I'll give you a taste of it here. When the gospel comes into a woman's life, it brings transformation, just like the gospel came into your life and brought transformation, right? So then, that, then as a result of the gospel transforming you, then there are implications. The gospel requires you, for instance, as a man, to love your wife like Christ loved the church. That's a gospel implication. The reason that you are to do that and be that is because the gospel is alive in you. Your wife has some of the same kinds of things. A woman has the exact same things. The gospel comes in and brings about implications through transformation. Okay, We're going to get to those. That's what this list is all about. Okay, in Titus 2. So how aware, guys, have you been of these things? Um, next question. If you're single and you hope to be, and I think at this point these questions then pick up on, on the yellow sheet, but um, if you are single but hope to be married someday, how aware are you of Titus 2, 3 to 5 as you prayerfully consider marriage? 
I would just say, guys, put Titus 2, 3 to 5 in front of you and let that be where you start to pray for a woman to come into your life. God, help me to find that kind of woman. Give me eyes to see that in another woman. And I pray for the women of our church, the young women, the single women in our church. God, would you please make them into this kind of woman? That's a marryable woman. And I want one of those, if that's pleasing to you. Um, sooner than later. Um, what if you're married and you have daughters? How aware do you think the women in your home are of what Titus 2, 3 to 5 says and means for them? And why would you say their awareness is where it is? Let's say they're very aware of it. Why are they aware of what Titus 2, 3 to 5 says? Is it because you're aware of it? Is their awareness linked to your awareness? Is their lack of awareness linked to your lack of awareness of what it says? So what I'm trying to do is say, let's raise our awareness so that we can then make a positive impact in our homes so that they, their awareness of this passage can be raised up. Okay? All right. Let's talk about what the, the actual three verses we're going to look at are going to be. Um, Titus 2, 3 to 5. Here's what this passage is all about. The gospel is honored. It is adorned. We could use the other words in Titus 2. The gospel is honored through transfer, uh, transformed older women training transformed younger women. That's what his point is in verses 3 to 5. You have these older women in the church who have been transformed by the gospel and they are to come alongside and have a ministry to the transformed younger women. The younger women in the church who have been transformed by the gospel. This is what's supposed to go on. That's what this passage is all about because that, when that happens, the gospel is honored. It is seen to be a beautiful, adorned thing that it is. Okay, So we've got three main points in this. The first one um, is what older women transformed by the gospel must be. The second one that we'll get to in a little bit will be what transformed older women must train the transformed younger women to be. And then thirdly, what happens when transformed women are all that they should be. Okay, so main point number one, what older women transformed by the gospel must be. Look at verse three. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior. Let's talk about just what older women means. The text doesn't indicate to us any specific age. It's, it's very interesting to read commentators on this. I know one commentator, one that I love very, very much and I highly respect, he says childbearing ends at about age 40 to 45. And so correspondingly then child rearing ends about 60 to 65. Therefore, it is reasonable to take older women as referring to women that are at least 60 to 65 years old. I just find that to be highly arbitrary. It, it's great, and, and that may be the case, and certainly 60 to 65 is indeed an older woman. Um, but I don't think Paul meant to nail it down for us. Um, that's, uh, that would be missing the point. I think here the, the point to not miss is that older women are a rich spiritual resource in the church. They have been isolated for a purpose, and uh, they need to have a huge impact. And, and you're going to primarily find your women in the church falling into two categories, just like you find the men in the church falling into two categories. You got older ones, and you got younger ones. I know in this church, seven years ago, eight years ago, this week when I came, it's been eight years I've been at this, this church, and this church has been, I don't know, crazy enough to have me be here. But the, the older women in this church in 19, or in 2003 when I came, the older women were maybe 30. 
I'm not kidding. Maybe. Is that right? I mean, we had a, a few, uh, the elders' wives who are who older, but I mean, th- when you looked out at the body, the older women might be 30. It's not that way anymore. And that's great. But even back then, we had older women. And the responsibility would have been to turn to those older women, who were indeed older, and have them be of a certain kind of character quality. So that the younger women, who were like, I don't know, Josh and Julie Kelso, like Julie Kelso was like 16 when she got married. Um, <laughs> oh, that's on tape. <laughs> <laughs> You've probably already been texting with him, and I just don't know it. Oh, that's true. But so that the, the no matter who the older women are, if they're 30, they're helping out the ones who are 22. Okay, um, so that's the goal for the church. Um, but just because you're older doesn't mean that you are everything you're supposed to be. That's why he gives these character qualifications. Number one, older women must be reverent in behavior. What does that word reverent mean in verse 3? It's the only time this word is used in the New Testament. And the word actually has its roots down in the priesthood. It was a word you would have used for those in the priesthood. A person set apart for priestly duties. That person would be sacred. That person would be a set apart person. And that's the idea that's to be carried over into the older women here. Um, These women are to have, see their lives as sacred set-apart lives. Um, Even though she may appear just to be a very common woman among all the other older women, she was to have a demeanor or a behavior about her that was, no, I'm set apart by God for a sacred duty. Uh, She's not a priestess in the temple. She's an older woman in the church who has a sacred duty. What's the sacred duty? This right here, to eventually come alongside the younger women. Okay? Okay. Uh, maybe it could be said that what she is is in being uh, reverent in all of her behavior is that she is she she practices the presence of God well in her life that she sees herself in in all areas and at all times set apart for God she lives her life um, as if she is continually in the presence of God. Alec. So I have a I think there's a responsibility here for the younger women mentioned in um, verse 4 to aspire to become this kind of woman. So that as a, as a young uh, junior high girl is looking up to a 20-year-old, she should be hopeful, uh, parents should be trusting, uh, discerning, that a 20-year-old is striving to become like that older woman. So there may be reverent behavior in a 20-year-old that is underway being practiced, but it may not look quite like what it does for somebody who's much older. So you probably just want to have good exposure to all levels. I, you know, I, I, I can tell you that what Kim and I um, truly enjoy is having um, some of the younger women, like in their like 25, there's a 25-year-old gal that about once a month comes and picks up Elissa and they go rock climbing or they go, and we want that. Not because I think that 25-year-old carries everything about her that one of the elders' wives does, 
But because she is on that path and she is beginning to demonstrate that and she demonstrates it well and consistently and I want my daughter as a 13-year-old to see a 25-year-old doing that. Um, I want to rely on the body of Christ to, to demonstrate that and show that. Um, and I'll tell you, just, just speaking in regards to having a 12-year-old and a 13-year-old daughter, um, every day they are bombarded by a completely other view of women. So guys, I mean, and, and your wife is too, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter where they're at. or I mean, we live in a... It's hard to jump into a swimming pool and not get wet. Have you ever noticed that? It is hard to jump into this world and have your wife or your daughter not be influenced by what the world and the culture thinks about women. You're gonna ha- your, your job is to dry them off. Wipe that stuff off all the time because they're going to get wet every day with it. You need to help them. Uh, you and I must be much more on our toes about this than we probably have been or maybe think we should. Um, you've got to really be after this. Um, this first character qualification of being reverent in their behavior might be functioning like an overarching quality for the woman, much like when you uh, get to the elder qualifications, you see above reproach, and we, we commonly think of that as, let me just say it all in one qualification first of what the man must be. He must be above reproach. It's very possible that that's what Paul's thinking here in regards to the older women. They need to just be reverent in their behavior. Now, let me spell out for you what reverent behavior looks like. And then he gets to these other ones that follow here. Okay, So this is what the gospel intends. This is what I mean by gospel implications. This is what the gospel intends to produce in an older woman. Reverent behavior. When the gospel goes into a woman and saves that woman as she grows in Christ and becomes an older woman, the gospel's intent and uh, intended effect upon her is that she would be a reverent behaved woman. Okay? Do you long... Uh, yeah, Mike, question. Scott, does this go... Would this be like a parallel to uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 where it talks about the behaviors of a woman that's pleasing to God? Sure. Yeah. Would that be part of that reverence that, that, that that's talking about as well? Um, it, it could be. I mean, I, I think Paul's probably on a... a 1 Peter 3, Peter's concerned about a woman being able to win her husband, her unbelieving husband over without a word, but it's not like it's a entirely different set of behavior that's going to do that. It's going to be a reverent, set-apart life that's going to do that. Yeah. So here's a question for you. Do, do you long for your, your wife to be reverent? That's, I mean, this is where I'm, uh, how this passage intersects a man. Let me tell you what, this, what you're not supposed to do with this message today. You are not supposed to go home and say, Honey, I just studied Titus 2, 3 to 5, and we got some... You got some explaining to do. <laughs> because I'm looking at the text and then I'm looking at your life and you know there's we gotta make this come together and it ain't coming together. Do not do that. If you do that, do not mention my name. <laughs> Don't mention any elder's name. Don't mention your church. You just tell that is my own harebrained idea. Okay? Yeah. And if you want to come sleep on my couch tonight, I ain't letting you in. Um, what do you do with this? This is, this is what you do with this kind of passage. Is this your desire for your wife? This is about how are, are you going to be a man that sees, oh my goodness, this is God's gospel implication for, a, for, for the older women in the church. Do I want my wife to be like that? 
Are you looking for a wife, guys, who is interested in living a life that looks different than the way most women want to live? Set apart. That's what you're looking for. Are you concerned to direct your wife in this direction? Ask your wife if she thinks you're concerned for her holiness of life. Because I don't know how many times I've thought, I'm very concerned about this for you. I asked my wife and she says, I had no idea you were concerned about that. Because I always portray myself and my own thinking about myself in the best possible light I can. It's just the default that's there, sinfully. I'm going to preserve myself. Ask her what she thinks. Honey, do you think I'm concerned about you becoming a reverent woman in all of your behavior? What a great conversation that will foster together. Number two, older women, uh, women are not to be uh, malicious gossips. That's just one word in the Greek. Here it is. Diabolus, diabolical, diablo, it's the word for the slanderer, Satan, the devil. Um, he is known as the one who slanders us in the presence of God. Um, he slanders God to us. Uh, the older women are not to engage in slander. Um, They are not to repeat vicious gossip about others. Uh, They cannot become women who are backbiting or begin scandalous charges about others or advance scandalous charges they've heard from others. Uh, But older women are to be those who can control their tongue from participating in what pushes other people down in the eyes of others. Now, this character quality and the next one, both of them are negated. You see, it's nor, um, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine. That means that Paul probably had the two of them in mind together. So number two and number three go together. Not malicious gossips, and number three, not enslaved to much wine. And we'll talk about what's the connection between those in just a moment. Um, It's very possible, when you compare how Paul wrote um, in Titus concerning drunkenness and, and alcohol... Compared to how he wrote in 2 Timothy to um, Peter, we, we can draw some conclusions, that possible conclusions. It's possible that in Crete, um, the men and the even maybe the women more so were known for heavy drinking. There's um, wondering about that um, as you read the commentaries. That, and it's all because of the word that Paul uses here, the way that he describes it. Um, it he says that they, they are not to be enslaved to much wine. That's a strong word. Becoming a slave to, to alcohol, to wine. Over in um, 1 Timothy chapter 3, concerning the elders, the deacons, and actually in verse 8, deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued, or addicted to much wine. Verse 11 that they should be temperate. Those two words, the temperate and not addicted to much wine. Um, it, the addicted to much wine is not um, the idea of enslavement, but it's an idea of your mind turns to it often. It kind of falls to thinking about alcohol all the time. We'll talk about this when we get to deacon qualifications. But the word temperate um, is, con- is possibly connected also, again, to uh, being temperate in, in regards to your use of alcohol. Um, but over here in Titus, boy, he is a strong word that's much stronger than temperate or even addicted to much wine. 
Uh, so it's very possible that what's going on here in the island of Crete is that there is a big drinking problem. And what happens when those people get saved? They've got to fight through the flesh to become obedient and to put to death the deeds of the flesh by walking in the Spirit. So what happened? Then what's the connection? What's the connection between not being a malicious gossip and not being enslaved to much wine? Um, well, what happens to your self-control when you have had too much wine? Self-control becomes uh, easily negotiated away. You, you, you don't even know where you put it last. It's, I can't even find it. And there's no constraint over your mouth. And you find this as, as people drink, that, man, they just start going talking saying all kinds of stuff and sharing all kinds of things and especially if the women were known in Crete for being this way then how much more so if the gospel came into that life transformed that life it must have an implication on that life that they will no longer be that way and that Paul would just get right after it and say not enslaved to much wine now the New Testament is very clear on the difference between drinking alcohol and drunkenness isn't it right Paul nowhere forbids the, the use of alcohol, but everywhere he speaks about it, he forbids drunkenness. And that's the issue here. Okay? So a couple questions for you. Are you the kind of man that is concerned that slander or gossip not find a lodging place in the woman that you would date or your wife? Um, is it a concern to you that you don't want to see that lodge anywhere in your life? Do you long for your wife to be in control of her words? Do you know, this is very important, guys, do you know the effect of your wife's emails on others? Do you know the effect of your wife's Facebook postings on others? Her phone calls. Are you looking for a woman who, guys, those of you who aren't married yet, who, who is far from the charge of being a gossip? Are you concerned to direct your wife away from gossip? Are you concerned to protect her from such sin? How are you concerned about that? How's that working out? Ask your wife if she thinks that you're concerned about her tongue. Does she feel protected by you? That, that she gets put in a place by you where she's not tempted easily to gossip? It would not be good for us to come home and give her the little morsel or the bit that she would then want to go tell somebody else, right? Um, just some ways for us to be thinking about this. Some more questions. Are you the kind of man that's passionate to not lose your own self-control in the use of alcohol? Listen, guys, you cannot have a standard for your wife that you yourself are not willing to live to And when it comes to alcohol. If you're not passionate, um, if you're not as concerned that you lose your own self-control when you drink, um, then you're not going to be concerned about this for your wife. And God says this is a gospel implication for your wife. Do you long for your wife to always have self-control, especially in her use of alcohol? As a single man, guys, think about this. Single guys, is this the kind of woman that you find attractive? One who wants to be very self-controlled, even in her use of alcohol. Has your oversight of the use of alcohol in your marriage, in your home, in your house, has it been helpful for your wife? so that she would have no trouble meeting this qualification as she gets older. If there is just a free-flowing use of alcohol in your home at any time, what, you need to ask yourself, what's the, what's the effect that that's having on my wife? Is, 
Is there something about her that she needs to be watched more carefully by me because maybe this is hindering her from actually meeting a, a gospel implication like this in her life? Um, we've got it figured out that drunkenness is not a sin. And I think sometimes that as evangelicals, as Christians, we recognize so clearly that we have freedom to drink. We do. And you can't, you know, if you're going to get that way with me, you're going to get legalistic. And I just don't know if we always think about it as carefully as we should. Just because you're not setting yourself out to get drunk doesn't mean that what you're doing with alcohol is wise. And I just want to challenge you to, I'm not laying down a, a, a specifics on this. I'm laying down and just saying, would you please evaluate your life? Because you can't hold your wife to something that you're not willing to hold yourself to. And you're the leader in the home. Yeah. Now you, you set the tone and you need to be the gatekeeper um, and help evaluate what's going on. Uh, number four, next qualification for her character quality. Uh, teaching what is good. Verse three. Uh, verse four now. Now where is it? Uh, I lost it. Oh, the end of verse three. Teaching what is good. This is um, one word in the Greek. It basically puts two words together. It puts the word good or beneficial and it puts it on the front of the word teacher. So a beneficial teacher, a good teacher. Now this doesn't necessarily mean that the older women are to be able to formally teach the Bible, um, do Bible studies or lessons like um, Sarah Demarest is doing right now um, over in Barnes Hall with all the Wellspring ladies. It doesn't mean that your wife must be able to do that in front of 30 women or 40 women. Um, but it implies at a minimum the ability, especially based on what's going to come here in, in um, verses 4 and following, that at a minimum they have the ability to informally teach the word of God at, and through their example the things that would be beneficial to younger women that when they open their mouth and they teach, good beneficial things come out that bring good and benefit to others, right? So, question for you to think about. Are you the kind of man that wants to live a life that brings good or benefit to others? Do you want your life to be that before others? Do you long for your wife to live the same kind of life so that as she grows older, younger women would find her words of experience to be of benefit? Do you want your wife to become that kind of woman? Are you concerned for your wife to be able to impart what is good to younger women? How is your, the oversight of your life, of her life, gone? Um, do you think the way that you have watched over your wife's life that she has been better positioned to have this kind of a good benefit on others through her words? Um, if the younger women of the church are, to, um, are going to be the kind of women that God desires them to be in the gospel, it requires, what Titus is saying here, it requires that the older women of the church must be of a certain character. Okay, that's where we're going here as we move next to the younger women. If the younger women are going to be what God desires them to be in the gospel, it has been linked inseparably to what the older women of the church are supposed to be. Um, do you see how God has connected the lives of the older women in verse 3 to the verse 4 so that they may encourage the young women to love, etc.? In the gospel, here's what God has done. 
In the gospel, God has created a special relationship between the older women in the body of Christ and the younger women in the body of Christ. It's a very unique relationship. Um, he's created a dependency for the younger women on the older women. What he wants them to develop into and become by his gospel is largely dependent on what the older women in the church will be like. That's what he's doing here. Um, let me ask you this question. Can younger women become godly in the church if the older women are not? Of course. It can happen. But what is being revealed here is that God has something much better than that in mind for the church. Okay? Uh, and so we need to be the kinds of heads of our households that makes the home become a fertile soil for the women to grow into godliness as they get older. You and I are, are tending the soil of our homes all of the time so that our wives, so that our daughters, so that our future wives, our future daughters can grow up and become this kind of a woman. We're responsible for that. We don't sit back and just go, dude, you're not a godly woman. What's wrong with you? That's not our job. Our job is to break up the fallow ground so that make it soft so that the, the women can grow in it the way that they are supposed to. What do you think your wife's growing into? That's a good question to think about. The primary point here is uh, not to go home and again and, and criticize your wife. The way, the, the way to think here is, is how can I better position myself so that I'm more concerned about these things and I can help her and I will humbly come alongside her. Um, let's go to number two though. What transformed older women must train the transformed younger women to be? That's verses four and five. So that, here's the purpose, so that they might encourage or train. Um, at one time, this word had the idea of bringing someone to their senses. Uh, it probably has a, a different sense than that by this time in, in Titus. It's probably just more simply the idea that uh, they need to come alongside them to advise the young women, to urge them, um, to encourage them to wise up as to their character and their responsibilities. So I like the word advise or urge with the word train. Um, and what's interesting here, and this is where I, I, I want to make the point again, that this is a unique relationship between the older women and the younger women in the church. What's interesting here is that Titus himself is um, directly to address all of the other groups except this one. Titus, say this to the older men. Titus, say this to the older women. Titus, verse 6, say this to the young men. But who is supposed to say anything to the younger women? The older women. Now, I don't think we should make more of that than is necessary. That is not saying that the, the pastors cannot speak to younger women in the church at all, by any means. Um, but what it does show is that there is something unique about this middle group that is mentioned. Older men is like one piece of bread. Uh, younger men is the last piece of bread. And in the middle are the women. And the older women have a unique relationship with the younger women in the church and vice versa. Um, it's not even spoken of here that the older men need to instruct the younger men. But it is said that way about the women. And so that tells us that there's something unique going on in the mind of the Spirit 
in regards to the way that the women in the church are to relate to each other. Um, should younger men be taught by older men in the church? Of course. But what's the point here? The point emphasized here is that the older women have a very direct training role with the younger women that it even goes beyond what Titus is supposed to do. It's not supposed to happen outside of Titus's overview and, and oversight as, a, as an elder. But Titus is supposed to rely on what the older women can do with the younger women as he shepherds them. So there's a unique relationship between the older women and the younger women in the body of Christ. And there is to be an exhortation to older women to be what they must be in the gospel so that they can come alongside and become trainers more directly so than anyone else in the church of the younger women. Um, this is where, when we were a, a younger church, like I talked about, and an older couple would come to the church and visit us, I can remember this. They would sit down and they would just like look around and they're like, I think I came to the college class. And I would talk to them afterwards and they would, they would be like, and that would be what they would notice. This is a really, this is a really young church. And I would, the first thing out of my mouth would say, and we need older people. Please, what can I do to help you? Because we need it. And, and it just didn't happen for a long time because it was so odd. To, you, you felt it being older. Uh, but there's a unique relationship that older women in the church have with the younger women that um, a church needs to prize and, and prepare. Um, young women here in verse 4. Uh, just means women to be in the early stages of life. Uh, it, it would probably mean those who are new in marriage or fresh in marriage and parenting uh, because it's talked about here about the, that they love their husbands and their children. What, what are the young women to be? Number one, husband lovers, verse four. So that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands. We, we word it in the English like it's um, something you're supposed to do, to love your husbands. And that's true. But it's primarily what they're supposed to be. It's one word in the Greek, husband lover. That's what it is. Be a husband lover. That's what the older women are to train the younger women to be. Be a husband lover. That's interesting. And what love is, is giving of yourself for what is good and beneficial for another. Love is not primarily sentiment or a, an affection. Uh, it, it, those are important. But love is a self-giving action for the good of others. So the newly married or the younger wife is to not play leapfrog over loving her husband. The older women are supposed to help her to not do that. Now, just think about this here. Because I, I find this to be shocking in verse 4. So that they may encourage or so that they may train. Train? Get the idea of training somebody? To what? To be a lover of a husband? What? In our day and age, do you know the way, the way we view it? Here's how we view love. You fall into it. I, just, I can't even control it. It just, it just happens. It's just so wonderful. And I just realized one day, I woke, and I was in love with this person. And, um, and it's just been great ever since. And so loving someone is placed before us like it's something uncontrollable that happens to us, but that's not at all what God expects and desires in the gospel. Do you understand this? 
This is completely counterintuitive to the way that our culture, our, our cultural mindset is. A young woman is actually to be advised, trained to love, to be a lover of her husband. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that she didn't love her husband before and now she does. But what if that was the case? Like in an arranged marriage in Paul's day. Now, get this. At the heart of the gospel is an implication and a transformation that can even come in an arranged marriage and say the gospel will make you into one who loves him. But see, we have this whole other set. No, the reason I love him is because I fell in love with him. It happened to me uncontrollably. And guess what happens later in your life when all of a sudden it doesn't feel like that anymore? If that's how you got into love, you can get out of love that way and a Christian marriage can break as easily as an unbelieving marriage. The gospel doesn't bank on that kind of love. And you should be thankful that God is saying this to the women so that your wife will see this and not go on some kind of worldly mindset about love towards you, but that she will be trained in the gospel by the older women in the church to love you. To love you. So even in a a day with an arranged marriage, this would work. So the idea here is clearly that love for her husband can actually be grown through the gospel. It can be cultivated through the gospel. It can even be brought into the woman's will and under her will, I will to love him. The gospel can transform a woman who would say, I can do that. I will bring self-giving action for his good under my own will and I'll do it. The gospel enables that. Do you understand? You can't fall into this gospel love. But you can be trained by the gospel to do this love. And older women have a unique role with the younger women to do it. Yeah. Well, I have two kids that have both fallen into that thing that it's not love. It is something. It's not love. They both experienced that. At one point, my wife and I have had to help them understand that sometimes that thing they fall into can be a gateway to real love. Yes. But it's not love. And we've had to, you know, help them understand that. That's good. Yeah, that, that's good. I mean, look, you're going to, infatuation or whatever you want to call it, that, that happens, that, that may be, like you said, the gateway. That may be the springboard that everything steps up on. What do you do with your daughter when you see that? You lock her in a room for the rest of her life. <laughs> and you pray for Jesus to come back. <laughs> That's the plan I got. It's the only one I got. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> now, what you do when somebody, when your when your daughter is infatuated, is you want to point her to biblical love, and you want to point her to gospel love, gospel, what the gospel does and says about love, so that it can become something better than that. You just don't want a marriage or a relationship resting on infatuation, because that's going to go. Um, same thing could be said about the next quality, the children lovers. Number two, 
to love their husbands and to love their children. The same thing here. It says one word with love on the front of it and children on the back of it. So all that we said of her self-giving love for her husband could be said of the, the child here. Um, and so get this. She can actually be trained to love her children. She can be advised in the gospel. The gospel does something in a woman that actually can make her be trained to love children that she might not love very well. The gospel can do that. Right? More. I, I think that this year, um, it's, it's not just the children she has, but it's a thinking of how to train your daughters and sons about children they might have. Um, I don't know if, if I'm unique in this. I doubt it, but my wife, her her greatest struggle was security. I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, so I I think that it's it's it's, it's safe to say that most women are going to cling to that security and maybe financial security, maybe cling to their father's security with, with what they want is security. And so I, I've been talking to some somebody who's who's in conversation with a lot of other young people in that about to get married stage about birth control. And, and it seems to me that it's difficult to be a child lover if you just, I don't want to say discard, that's too strong a word, but if you disregard what Psalm 27 says about children being a reward, and in no other area of your life do you purposefully restrict God's reward. So how do you talk to someone who says, we're not going to have children because I don't know whether there's a job in it. Or we, we've got this grand scheme of financial security. She's going to want that anyway. She's going to start a marriage out. Prioritizing security over children. Yeah. I, I wouldn't make, um, you know, is it biblical to have uh, contraception or not? I wouldn't start there. I would I would address the, the motive behind. And that's what I'm trying to address is, yeah. is that that idol of security and, and financial stability over and above right. being a child lover. Yeah. If you're a child lover, uh, you'll want that child more than your iPhone. Right. Yeah, absolutely. No, what you want to do is you want to help them with the word of God, have what Hebrews 4.12 does, that the word is living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it can go into places that you can't see, and it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So you want to bring the word of God to bear so that it can show them what is going on in their heart about what they're thinking about security or contentment, maybe is a, is a, is a biblical word to use on that. Um, maybe there's discontentment, and they only are going to want to be in a place of contentment and they defined it through material things or a certain level of income or whatever, I would want to address all of that on one side on the negative uh, of helping reveal what might be there that needs to be forsaken. And then I would want to also feed positively. I would want to inform the heart about what God's word does say about children positively. Um, and then 
like with the psalm that you mentioned. Children are a gift from God. And then, when you've done that with the Word of God, then you can say, and how many people do you know thought that they were going to take the bull by the horns and they were going to take control of their lives and they weren't going to have any kids. They had a plan, a glorious plan. Five years, no kids for five years until we really get ourselves right here. And nine months later, bang. And you know what? The ones who uh, are walking with the Lord find that, oh my goodness, God knew what was best. And God does what God does when God wants to do it. And even if we try to stop it, he does what he wants to do. Um, and so just to help them see that, I mean, really that kind of thinking is setting themselves up for a grand discouragement because it, it's really their will over, over God's will. Because my will is that we're going to live a certain life, we're going to attain a certain um, kind of living, and no children can come into that path because if they did, it would totally disrupt that. And the next thing they know, if they start marching down that, and God says, here's a baby. Or God says 10 years later after you've been trying. Yeah. Well, God's going to make it very clear who's in control. It's just a matter of when he does. Jeff? Well, I I will just confess that... um, you know, you have you have regrets in life. Frankly, my wife and I started with that exact attitude, mm-hmm. and we waited. And in hindsight, I have a personal testimony to that I regret hmm. that. So you know, there's probably people that have some more testimony out there that if you can get them in front of someone like that, that you know, that looks back on it and says, "I wish we wouldn't have done it that way." Yeah. And, and, I, and we're probably um, on the other side of, for nine years, we couldn't, we couldn't have kids. Have no idea why. And as I look back on how God did what God did in our family, informing our family the way he did with two adopted children and then one you know, that, that um, Kim gave birth to, I, I wouldn't want it any other way. Because it was perfect at the right time in the right way um, and, and and you got the added benefit that if you have kids older in life, you can be their grandfather at the same time as you're their father, too. So that's good. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Write, write that down. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. That would be... That would be a great testing point. What what in the Word of God indicates to you that children will be a threat to the security you want? Show me from the Bible. I'd like to see that. Because that will be a very short discussion. And you can help expose that in there. But Scott, one other thing. I even yeah. remember when I was like 22 or 23, and, and my mentor at my accounting firm, I started, I said, you know, start having kids now. He goes, you know, you're going to be broke now, or you're going to be broke if you wait five years. Just start out. Yeah. And I didn't listen to him. And I, yeah. he was great advice. <laughs> it was good advice. Broke All right. Let me ask you. Yeah, Michael. I have one question. Yeah. Yeah, um, it would the, the the connection with with to somebody like that would be um, to love what God wants for the church. 
and that you would be a part of the body of Christ, um, that other men would, that you would help other men love these things, and that you would want to be a, if, if God might use you somehow in some uh, appropriate way to um, help guard the women of the church for this. Um, but anybody, um, if this doesn't apply directly to via marriage or father or whatever, um, this is what you would love for the church. You, just like you would, you know, just because you're not going to be married doesn't mean that you're, you're indifferent about men loving their wives like Christ loved the church. You want to exhort your brother too. So you'd want to exhort um, and see how uh, husbands and fathers can uh, make sure that they're prizing these things for their home and uh, that the women would be protected for these things. It would be a matter of prayer for you, um, all kinds of things like that. So still important for all of us to know that so that we're um, able to participate in it in the body of Christ. Um, a couple of questions from after the husband lovers and children lovers. Has your wife heard you express gratefulness to God for her and her love? That would be the thing. If you're going to go home and say anything to your wife, go home and tell her what you're thankful for, of how she does love you and how she does love your kids if, you, if you've got them. Um, does she know that you feel loved by her through her acts of love? Um, Ask your wife if she feels like you expect her acts of love or if you appreciate her acts of love towards you. Has your wife heard you express gratefulness to God for um, her love for your children? Have you sat down with her to list for her the many ways you see her sacrifice in, um, in love for both you and the children? Start there. Start with evidences of God's grace that you see in your wife. Does your wife need your encouragement to keep sacrificing in love for the children? Your wife needs to be encouraged to do that. Um, if you've got ones in the home. Ask your wife if she feels weary in her acts of love for the kids and how can you step in and help out. Um, number three, sensible. Sensible. Uh, the older women are to teach the younger women to be sensible, verse five. That word means being in control of oneself. It's being prudent. It's being thoughtful. Young women need to be advised by older women, need to be trained by older women to control themselves, to be prudent, to be really thoughtful about what they are uh, and what they're doing. Um, good judgment. Where do they need help with this? Let me give you just a couple of arenas of life. Um, young women need help being prudent and sensible in cons uh, concerning their use of time how much time she spends outside the home. Especially when there's no kids, how much time she spends time inside the home. Um, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. Uh, what about being sensible in, in regards to the use of money? I saw, I was on a, a, a financial website this week, and it said, um, how did he describe it? Women will cause a family to go broke over a long period of time. A husband will do it in one step. <laughs> that's good because uh, you know does your wife need to become sensible uh, because maybe she's draining the, the account uh, in, a, in a way that's you can, you can live with it today but you're not going to be able to keep living with it that way um, what about in regards to TV and the internet uh, is she sensible and prudent and thoughtful about what she's doing with TV and the internet what about social networking? Um, 
Do you know how many hours your wife is on the computer? Does she know how many hours you're on the computer? Um, these, is she being sensible about it? This is not a ban of social networking. This is a, are you sensible? Are you prudent? Are you thoughtful about it? Um, I think young moms especially need to be sensible in regards to how much stuff they get the kids involved in. Um, moms love to, 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 many moms love to, to keep kids busy and do fun things for them. And the next thing you know, it is a tornado life and you're just, there's no rest. The kids are, are wearied because they're just going, 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 going. And um, Guys, you, those of you who are single, are you looking for a wife who has good judgment in the different areas of her life? Do you long for your wife to be such a woman? In what ways have you seen your wife use good judgment in the home? If you've seen her use good judgment in the home, tell her so that she's encouraged. Um, and maybe you need to study your wife in this area a little bit more so that you can offer encouragement and better equip her. Number four, the, the older women are to in, train them, advise them to be pure, verse five, pure. This is the word holy. It's a different word than reverent, although it's not a completely different idea, but you can see that a young woman whether from her youth all the way up to her old age, is never to be without what? Holiness of life. Because the young women are to be pure and the old women are to be reverent in behavior. Set apart and pure. No impurities in the life. Um, here's a question for you. Single guys, are you looking for a wife <clears throat> who is pure in thought and pure in deed? Guys, do you long for your wife to be pure? Do you know what impurities tempt her life? And do you know what form they take on? Do, do those, those temptations to impurity, do they take on the form of, do they express themselves through the internet, through social networking, through TV, through movies? Guys, we need to be really careful about what we entertain our wives with, with what we watch. If we entertain ourselves with impurity and them with impurity, we might be setting a, an obstacle in front of what the gospel wants to form in them, which is purity. So be thoughtful about your entertainment. In what ways have you seen purity in your wife in the home? This is one of the things I love about my wife so much is that um, she just she helps me think about this in ways that um, go beyond the natural ways that I think about it. I'm so grateful for that. Do you need to study your wife in this area so that you can offer her encouragement? Number five, older women are to, in, to train the younger women to be workers at home. This is one word in the Greek. So again, it's, it's more about what they're supposed to be than what they're supposed to do. But if you are this, you're going to do it. But it's an identity issue first. It's the word house on the front end of the word work. So house at the front, work at the back. Housework. Uh, it's the carrying out of household responsibilities. It's to be busy with the work that a household of people requires. You, you recognize this, don't you? That if there are people in a household... There are responsibilities that just come with making sure that everybody can live with each other and not kill each other. So the idea with this word is more that the wife is to be this. She is to be a house worker. 
Um, so the home is the center of gravity for the woman in Christ. So the loving wife and the loving mother finds herself absorbed in the countless responsibilities that are hers in the home. Now, the gospel, listen, the gospel shapes her to become this. Okay, I'm just going to make sure that you, you hear that. Because this is just like the gospel would shape a woman to become sensible. Just like the gospel would shape a woman to become pure. Right? Those, we can connect those dots quickly. Of course the gospel would want a woman to be pure. But I'm not so sure we see it as quickly when we say, and the gospel also wants her to be a worker at home. Well, and then the conversation goes, right? Um, but this is what we really need to wrestle with. Um, this is probably the characteristic that gets the most attention and has the most controversy surrounding it. And um, honestly, it's, it's very easily negotiated away, even in, in, by good, uh, good men and their families. So I want to think about this a little bit with you, if I can. Um, look at these other characteristics in the, in the list. Do you see them? Um, husband lovers, children lovers, sensible, pure, and then after this, kind, and then subject to husbands. Um, let me ask you this. Which ones in this list of seven do you feel comfortable negotiate, uh, negotiating away in a young woman's life? Which one is okay? Are you asking a specific one? <laughs> <laughs> let me rephrase the question. <laughs> Rhetorically speaking, uh, but think about it. Loving her husband, loving her children, can she do that um, halftime? Um, what about being sensible or having good judgment? Can she negotiate that away? Can she be sensible most of the time, but it's okay to not be sensible at other times? Is it okay? What about with purity? What about being kind? What about being submissive to her own husband? Do you want that um, in some times, but not at other times? And I guess the question that I think that we really have to wrestle with is why does the worker at home seem to be in a different category all the way around, it be something different in the minds of men and women? Because I'm not so sure in a list of seven, it stands out remarkably different than the others. Do you? Mark? Yeah, I, you, you can easily take two of them off the list at the same time. Yeah, you could. If you take off being a child lover and being a worker at home and everything you like. For, for that one personally, yeah. And, and Paul's intent is not that every woman needs to have children or have a husband, but he's speaking to the, the, the broad group that primarily makes up the whole church, which is the ones who are married and have children. So in a sense, then that takes it off the table because he is talking to the ones, the main group. So, um, but not one of these stands out separate as, as any of the others. Um, it shouldn't have its own unique place or category compared to the other ones. Um, let, me, let me tackle this from a different direction. If, if you came home and you found out after a period of time that something was tugging your wife away from loving you, 
Or something was pulling on your wife and she wasn't loving the kids like she used to. Or something was tugging her away from being sensible, from being pure, from being kind. You, you discover there was something that she's not submissive to me like she once was. What would you do? That would be a concern, would it not? What I want you guys to feel is I want you to feel how arbitrary it is to isolate this one and do something different with it. Okay? Um, I'm not sure there's anything in the list that would make it become its kind of own category. Um, like maybe it has become. There shouldn't be a different standard for this one compared to the, the other ones. Now, that being said, this characteristic does not forbid a woman to be outside of the home. Okay? It doesn't forbid that. Uh, it doesn't forbid a woman from ever, 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 ever being involved in something outside the home. But what this characteristic says is positively that she will be what? A worker at home. That's what she'll be. That's what the gospel wants to take a woman and shape her into. Okay, this is a gospel implication on a woman. And every woman's a little bit different. You know, some women don't do very well having much of anything distracting them outside of the home, pulling them away from the home. They don't do very well with anything pulling them away, whether it's work or ministry. I watched my wife a year ago uh, pour herself into, we started up Wellspring and there was a, a whole children's ministry side and she got involved in that. She wasn't even working. She's not getting paid for that. And the amount of time that it required of her each week was not monumental, but it was, it was almost overwhelming to her, and I saw the impact that it made on the way that she cared for the home. And she worked in the home. Um, and every woman's different. And the capacity at which a woman can do that and still be a work at home is different. Season of life is a huge thing for you to consider where your wife is at, uh, what the age of the children are, if there are any. That makes a huge difference. Here's the point. Whether your wife, uh, mother of your kids, works out outside the home or not, this still is the center of gravity characteristic for her. This is not now all of a sudden not true for her or only true part-time for her if she does something else outside. This is a gospel implication for her, just like you wouldn't want her to be sensible part-time. She still, if she's going to be involved with other things, needs to full-time be a worker at home. This is, her, this is who she is. Her responsibility is to care for the home, to, to labor there in a way to make the household responsibilities, um, get them complete so people living in that home can, can, can live well with each other there. Um, and this is where you have to be very careful as her husband and as her head um, if you're asking your wife to work outside of the home because you've got an idea set for where you need to be, um, you need to recognize that what you're doing by asking her to do that is you're putting a, a, something that's going to compete for a gospel implication in her life. And so you need to be very, very wise. I'm not saying that it's, in every case it's going to mean that you, you will obviously conclude that she should not work outside the home. I'm not saying that. But if you are going to ask your wife to do something that's going to um, require time of her from a gospel implication in her life, you're going to be, need to be really thoughtful about that, aren't you? Here's, here's what I've noticed over the last couple of years, and I'll let you guys ask questions if you want. 
when the, when the economy did what the economy did a few years ago, and husbands' incomes went from this down to this, one of the first things that came to a lot of these husbands' minds was, honey, I think you need to go back to work. It was just, it was almost just kind of, the, the, the gut response was, we used to have this much money and now we only have this much. And so I guess the only solution to this problem is we got to get back up to that. So what do you do all day? Um, let's get you, <laughs> let's get you, you laugh. You're laughing. You're laughing. I, I'm dead serious. A husband comes home to a wife and says, so what do you do all day? Are you kidding? With kids. Guys. Uh, so the first thing to challenge is, okay, well that, that's, that's one way to address the problem, that you were living this way with this much, and the only way to solve it is, or, or one way to solve it would be, we got to get back to where you were. Um, that's one way. Great. Let's set that down as plan um, H and see if there might be a plan A and B and some others that we might consider. Let's, let's consider some other things first before you just ask, because do you, re, do you recognize what you're going to ask your wife to do? Uh, no, actually go home, ask your wife what she does. And then ask yourself, when is she going to fit in that with everything else she does? So, I mean, you just got to be very thoughtful, very careful about this. Um, so the point is, you, you want to make sure that your wife feels this as the center of gravity. And anytime you feel like this is an easy one to negotiate away, just come back to the other qualities. You want kindness to be a center of gravity characteristic in your wife. You want sensibility to be a center of gravity characteristic in her life. You want um, purity to be a, a, a gospel-made center of gravity in her life. And you also want her as a worker at home to have the same. And again, at different stages of life, empty nesters are going to be in a different place than, than um, those who've got three little ones running around, five little ones running around, okay? But guys, you just need to, be, you need to be mindful of this, that this is what the gospel wants to produce in your wife. And before you set obstacles in front, you need to have a well-thought-out, pleasing-to-God path that allows her to go do those things and maneuver the course and get back and still be able to hold this characteristic for her. Okay? Um, now, you had a question. Okay. Yeah, um, spoken in the text, and it's come out ideally this gospel center woman is the well managed home of a demonstration then of, of the love for the husband, the love for the children. Um, is that the helper he was concerned for these traits? So, you're talking about the, like in 1 Timothy 3, when he manages his own household well for the elder? Is that what you're talking about? Okay. Okay, so go on again. A ask the question again. Right. Yeah, that, that, that's true. I mean, everybody benefits from this in the home when a, when a wife is, is this way, um, for certain. Um, so, guys, just, just, just remember that you don't want this characteristic of her to be ne negotiable any, in any other way that you would want the other ones to be. Okay?
Jeff. I, I just wanted to say that, you know, when you get married, you become one flesh. And a husband and wife who are one flesh and spiritual come before God, and God communicates. I mean, I will tell you that when my wife is outside the home, she's constantly still thinking about the home. Yeah. And um, so, and, and yet, we as one flesh have come before God, and so it, it's highly complicated. It is. And, and like, we've, we've been blessed. My wife never wanted to have our kids in a daycare. Mm -hmm. other, other parents may, that are one flesh may come to a different, but we've somehow God blessed us to never have our kids one day in a daycare. So, you know, and, and yet it's, it's individual for each couple to come before God together. And in our home, we've pretty much always been of the same mind. Yeah. And it's maybe been a little different than maybe other couples, but uh, she would sit here and say, we are doing exactly what we together before God have decided yeah. to do. Absolutely. We've been conscientious about it, but you know, it could take, it could take a thousand different um, expressions. Expressions, right. exactly. Yeah, and so the, the point is, what do you do for a thousand different men? You set a principle out in front that this is not negotiable, like any of the other qualities are. Now you go figure it out um, in your oneness of flesh. Trevor, you had something. Oh, I was going to say, so just to clarify this, she does do all the work at home. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, I, I wanted to I wanted to bring and mention Proverbs 31 because there is a woman uh, who's who's very busy, and she's even busy outside the home, and um, but her home only benefits, and so this is one of the things you want to be looking at for how a woman is outside the home, that there needs to be some kind of a benefit that you see from that back towards the home, and it ain't just talking bottom line. Well, our income, and now that means we can, you know, it's got to be even more than that. Not, 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 not excluding that, but it's got to be more than that. Yeah. Just really quick, I'd like to just speak to the married men here. Just caution you that um, when, when your wife sees, you know, workers at home, that they can. There's a tendency for women to think that means um, a home that is neat and clean, and there's this sort of cycle that I've seen ladies get into that. If their home is not cooked together, mm -hmm. that um, there's a sense that they're not they're not managing the home well, or they're not they're not doing a good job at being a worker at home. So just I mean, yeah. just talk to your wives, and I mean that it, the standard is not cleanliness yeah. or how well decorated your home is. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Uh, guys, I don't know what happened to the time. We're gone. Let me, let me just run through a, a couple of things. By the way, on this qualification, just because a woman is home doesn't mean she's a worker at home. You understand? Um, some women are lazy. Some women are slothful, irresponsible, and not good stewards at all. So just the idea, so here's just the way to, to you, that you can test it the other way that just because she's home doesn't mean that everything's that she's everything she's supposed to be. She needs to be one who's concerned about the things of the home. So you can test it with that. Number six, kind, uh, verse five. Uh, the older women need to advise the younger women to be kind. Something here that maybe Paul 
had workers at home and kind in mind at the same time. Um, which, how would you connect it that way? Well, the overwhelming work that the home can require could oftentimes tempt a woman to be overly task-oriented. Have you ever seen this when your wife gets this way? She becomes overly task-oriented, and in doing so, she can actually miss the souls that are in front of her because she sees the tasks. She can see souls in the home as actually keeping her from her tasks at times, delaying her task, even creating more tasks for her. And so it um, takes a significant level of spiritual maturity that maybe an older woman can help a younger woman at to actually be kind to those souls in the home while she's doing all of that. And lastly, number seven, subject to their own husbands. Um, this is the same verb for submit in Ephesians 5. The idea is that um, um, built into this verb is that there must be someone who is in authority or leadership and another person who is not in authority or leadership. And the one who is not in authority or leadership is one who follows. The one that is that then therefore puts herself in line with the one who is in authority, the husband. Um, it has nothing to do with spiritual inferiority. She doesn't follow because she's spiritually inferior. Uh, it, it doesn't happen because you are spiritually superior. You probably aren't. Um, it's just like the gospel makes a woman kind, just like the gospel makes a woman pure, and the gospel makes her sensible, so it makes her a worker at home, and the gospel makes her a submissive woman. It's a gospel issue. And that's the implication. And what is number three then, the big number three, what happens when transformed women are all that they should be? Verse five at the end, this is all so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Um, I have a quote for you there from MacArthur. I think this is good. The world judges the gospel, which is the heart of the word of God, by the character of the people who believe and claim to be transformed by it. How do we make sure that the world, as they look on Grace Bible Church and they look on your family and they look on our collective families together, how do they conclude that the word of God is something unique and special by the way even your wife or your daughters live? And you, as a man of God, as a head of the household, you need to be in line with what God says for them so that you can help them embrace it and you can help shepherd them towards that. That's the message. You've got 23 questions you can work through that will help you think about it in the days to come, okay? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity again just to be before your word. And um, thank you for these men who... um, want to absorb what, what your word says. I pray, Lord, that you would give them wisdom in their homes. Uh, Father, help align their hearts with yours here in Titus 2 and um, give them much patience with their wives and their daughters. Um, help them to become encouragers. Give them eyes to see where your grace is at work in their, in, in their wives, in their daughters, and give them um, kindness to be able to point it out and, and mention it. Um, so that their wives and their daughters can be encouraged and blessed by them. May these men be a blessing to their wives and not a, not a taskmaster. I pray, Lord, that you would um, help our wives and our daughters. I pray that you would help the women of this church and the future wives and the future daughters of these men to um, be what your word calls them to be. Thank you for the power of the gospel that transforms us, not only just in our character, but also even in our roles. Those are gospel-driven roles that have been given, and we're grateful for them, Lord. 
Help us to be obedient to your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, um, one of the things that I'll set before you is that um, our women's ministry has a mentoring uh, ministry component to it. Um, Chris Evans is one of the ministry leaders in women's ministry, and she has gathered together a list of women that the elders and um, the women's leadership, I'm I'm one of the elders that's over the, the women's ministry, and what we do is we have a pool of older women's names in the church that we say, yep, that's a woman that we would love to have a younger woman be alongside. If you um, would think about two things in regards to your wife. Number one, has God worked in her in such a way that maybe she could be one of those women? Or secondly, maybe your wife is a younger woman who needs the encouragement from one of those kinds of women. Um, Come talk to me. We can get an older woman paired up with her so that she can benefit from this unique arrangement that God has for older women and younger women, or so that we can take your wife, if she indeed is that kind of woman, and pair her up with a younger woman in in the body. Um, I see this happen over and over in the body and the encouragement that comes from the older women caring for the younger women in this way. So if you want to talk to me about that, I invite you to do that, okay? All right, well, have a great weekend, guys. Oh, yeah, one, one last thing, I'm sorry. George, thank you for the wave, I appreciate it. You know I need it. Uh, We're still looking for some more men to come alongside the setup um, on Sunday mornings in the setup ministry. George, what do you want to say? You got a captive audience. What do you? What what would be helpful? Um, If if they're not serving anywhere, it's uh, every other Sunday. Um, What time do they need to be there at? They only need to be there like at seven. At seven. That's all. Yeah. Um, And usually we're we're uh, there by um, no later than. Yeah, that'd be great. And if you, just for clarity's sake, um, if you do setup, that does not mean you're doing teardown that day. There's a whole other set, a whole other team that does teardown. So you're not asked on your, the day that you serve to come early and then also stay late. You're just coming early to serve and to set up. So if you haven't done that, that's a, a really great way to do it. I don't know if you've noticed this, but after the service is over, you might see a group of people standing and um, who are going to stack chairs and they pray. Because they, they view what they're doing as service. Um, that's on the teardown side, but I know the same thing happens on the setup. That these, this, is a, this is spiritual service that, that the, the guys and the girls are doing. And, and so it's not just, yeah, I can throw a few chairs down on the mat. Um, this is no, you're really serving the body and um, trying to do it in a way that pleases Christ. So talk to George if you want to. If you can do that, we need some more help, okay? All right. Thanks for the time, guys. See you later. Thank you.